the most interesting radio show on planet Earth. The Weekend Variety Wireless. On Radio Live. Liking the poems thing we've been doing, the read me, read me a poem. It's actually read me a couple of poems, but uh, who cares about the quantity? Or well, two's enough, probably. Later on this hour, our next guest for read me a poem, Steve Braunius. Gosh, he's written some great books. Uh, Fool's Paradise, wonderful thing. I laughed and laughed and laughed until I stopped. And he'll be in to read us a couple of poems, but he's got a special show and tell uh, because he's got this book and it's coming, it's out now, just out now. And it's very, very much along the lines of what we've been doing, wanting to do anyway with this poetry thing uh, of read a favourite poem, tell us why it's good. His book's called The Friday Poem. It's published by Lunch and Sausage Books, which is, I just wanted to say, because that's a great name for a publishing company. Lunch and Sausage Books at $25. Available nationwide. So you can see it on the net or in a shop, if you like. And it's a whole lot of people who've submitted poems. That and uh, he's edited it together. It's an anthology, but it's unhighfalutin, if you like. All right, Steve will explain further later this hour. Coming up next, John Dibvig's Letter from America. Yep, he's up next. Oh, and later on, uh, even further this evening, uh, the story of General Bernard Freiburg, a real alpha male of the New Zealand military we've been stacking together. The World War I-themed outsiders uh, that Gerard, Mar Gerard Heinmarsh has submitted and running them up to and will be including 11th of November 2018, 100 years ago. The signing of Armistice, it will be next week in a special edition of Jesus. Make it stop with Glenn Harper next week. He'll have all the time he needs or likes. Gosh, he's good. As you can probably tell, we've got an archive and that's going to be a podcast as well. So uh, just go to the Weekend Variety Wireless webpage and the instructions will be there. The podcast of this entire series, seven weeks worth, leading up to the end of World War One. Next up, very different subject indeed. His name's John Dibbick and his letter from America. Good evening. You're tuned in to the Weekend Variety Wireless. John DeFig's letter from America. Hello, John. Graham, how you doing? You good? Yeah, very good. Yeah, Thank yeah. Thank you. Now, before we start the show, I, right. I, I know that I swear a bit too much at times, and I don't know what it is. I think it's just because I'm old now. I you mean, I've always sworn. Yeah. But I find myself into falling into, you know, really bad habits of swearing a lot for, for no particular reason. Yeah. You know, so I, I will be conscious of that tonight. We'll try. Well, okay. And, we'll try and clean up our act a little bit. Okay. Thanks, John. Language. Although, words. you know, I'd, I would rather people just... Um, talk how they naturally express themselves as the default setting. <laughs> yeah. But other people don't like that. Nope, nope. There you go. But anyway, we'll, make, it, right. we'll make an effort. Okay. <laughs> 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 All 
I'll just hit the bleep button. We'll just <laughs> go do, do, do. All right. Uh, now, naive to the extreme, what is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Duncan Garner and Mark Richardson. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I, I always enjoy uh, when I see somebody in the local taking, uh, you know, talking about Trump. All right. You know, Mike Hosking does it every once in a while. We know that Mike loves to kiss his ass. So, oh, God darn it. Okay. Ass is okay. You're uh, allowed one ass. All for one. <laughs> but Duncan and Mark. One. <laughs> all for one. <laughs> we'll hang in there. But Garner and Richardson uh, this week have said that they didn't understand what all the big fuss was about uh, Donald Trump, that Americans were overreacting. And, 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 Dun and Garner goes, well, what has he done that's so bad? Mm -hmm. So, okay, guys. I'm going to give you just a quick overview. To start with... Okay, when, yeah, good. This is this is good. Yeah. To start with, when you become the president of the United States, you have to swear in a Bible that you will uphold the Constitution of the United States of America. Mm -hmm. You will follow it faithfully and uphold it and protect it and guard it and do the whole nine yards with the Constitution. Mm -hmm. Now, earlier last year, uh, a congressman from Montana picked up a reporter and body slammed him over his head and body slammed him because he didn't like a question that he was asked. And naturally, he was um, charged with assault, so he's a criminal. And at a Montana rally this year, Trump praised him for that. He said that anybody that can pick up a reporter and body slam him is my kind of guy. Mm. He said, because the press is the enemy of the people. And it's in the First Amendment of the Constitution, Mark and um, Duncan, that freedom of the press to hold the government accountable that's the freedom of the press so he he disregards that all the time you know, yeah okay oh. but then again the press isn't immune from being no. incredibly biased no. look no. at no. cnn not. look at fox they're not they're not they're not but they're not the enemy of the people you know, Stalin used that word, enemy of the people. Dictators use that word, enemy of the people. He's not half as well. I'm just saying. Dictator. I'm, I'm just saying. The okay. Other, the okay. Other, this one. The other thing about Trump uh, is the emoluments clause. All right. It's in the Constitution. You cannot take money from foreign governments because it will color your decision making about foreign policy. Mm. And Donald Trump makes millions and millions of dollars when the Saudis stay in his hotels in Washington, D.C., New York, and Chicago. Mm. And then when a journalist... Oh, hang, on, hang on, the United States makes millions of dollars when you sell them arms. Doesn't matter. Oh. We're not talking about that. Oh, We're talking about okay. the president of the United States not being allowed to take money or gifts from foreign governments for okay. a plausible reason that is going to color his decision making. Didn't we give... Megan Markle, or something, a koala, or is that our animal? No. No, you gave him a buzzy bee. Oh, that's right. So anyway, so he makes, you know, this is a, a moment clause. He's breaking this in the Constitution. He faithfully said he was going to honor the Constitution. He's mm. not. And then so when a, a, a U.S. resident, Kosogi, gets killed, mm. and now I hear they, they dissolved his body. Oh, no. Yeah, that's what they said. They, who's the, who's the, they? The, the Turkish people. Oh, the Turkish people make stuff up But anyway, anyway, what does Trump do? What? Eh, no big deal. No big deal. The Saudis are paying me millions. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to hold the guy to account. All right? Then you have this caravan that he keeps talking about. He's an absolute outright racist. He ran an ad this week where he pictures a Mexican killer of two cops in America mm -hmm. who got into the country illegally. And then he cuts from that cop, that Mexican guy talking about killing two cops, to a crowd of people that is not in America, it's someplace else, trying to storm a fence. And then he said, 
The Democrats let this killer in. The Democrats said he could stay. How many more of these kind of killers will the Democrats keep in? Where's the racist bit? The, talking about brown people, talking about Mexicans. You know, that's all he shows is brown people and the Mexican. Well, this is where they're coming from, yeah. Guatemala, Central America. Yeah. There's no, he's, totally, not, he's not calling them totally, brown people. Yes, he is. Totally racist. He's not calling them brown people. Totally racist ad. You can argue that all you want. Totally racist. The point is... Yeah, I would. The, the Mexican guy came in under the George Bush administration, who was a Republican. Mm -hmm. The guy that let him out of jail, and nobody knows why he let him out of jail, is a sheriff called Joe Apayo in Arizona, who was a Republican, who was found guilty of a felony charge this year. And guess who pardoned Joe Apayo? Donald Trump. So he's an out-and-out -out liar. And he's, yeah, a, he's a hate. His platform is hate. Fear and division. He's been talking about this caravan for the last seven weeks. The caravan's real. The caravan is real. It's a thousand miles. It's two months away from the goddamn border. Where do they say they want to go? They're going to the border to seek asylum, which is permissible under the Constitution of the United States of America. And Trump has said he's going to deny him that right. He has no right to do that. No, didn't he say he just was didn't want trouble when they arrived? It's a lot of people to arrive all at once. What do you do? Yeah. What would you do? Well, they're not going to all arrive at once. Because, oh, yes, they are. No, they're not. According to the United States Army's estimate, only a very small percentage of that caravan will even make it to our border, which happens year how in do you and know? year. I don't know how they know. That's what they said. They've done a study on it, and it happens every year. Oh. Every year these caravans come in. I but haven't seen one of these caravans before. He's not, he's not allowing them to come and seek asylum. That's against the law. Then you've got, you talk about the hate and the, and the fear-mongering mm. and the division that this guy generates every single day, every day. He's going to send 15,000 military personnel to the border. That's more than we have in Afghanistan. No, that's and good. And they're two months away, and he said if they throw rocks, we will consider that a rifle yeah, and, you a firearm. Are, and you can shoot. Now, that's against the law, Duncan and, and Mark Richardson, because yeah. military personnel don't get to shoot civilians. It's just not there. It's, across it, the border. Across the, anywhere. Unless you're in, on the border of South to North Korea. Yeah, but anywhere. Military cannot shoot unless it's a drastic emergency or whatever, but yeah. they can't shoot civilians. Okay. okay, I don't think anything has changed. You don't like the guy's personality. You don't like his rhetoric. But as far as really um, odious things to do with the law and stuff like that... And, the emoluments clause. He's a co-conspirator, unindicted, but he's a co-conspirator in campaign finance fraud. He's been taken to court for What's the emoluments... What's happened to the Russian meddling? That's... Well, they, they won't... We won't know until next week. Oh, OK. Because that's, uh, you know, after the midterms next week. All right. But, you know, you got that... But, you know, you try and make excuses for this guy. No, this guy, I'm trying okay. to get you to explain yourself rather than just make bold-faced assertions. Well, th they're That's not bold-faced. If you listen to his rhetoric, he calls himself, I know, I know the he calls himself a nationalist now. That's a white supremacist. No, it's not a see, white. You, you see, no, see, a, yes, white a nationalist is not a white supremacist. Well, the, you look at your history and I think you'll be mistaken. No. I, no way. Yeah. There are black nationalists. Yeah. He's a, he's a smart, Mexican he's a, nationalist. Yep, yep, yep. That has a bad connotation in America. Okay. You know, I mean, if you want to, and you want to look at eleven 
11 Jews were slaughtered last week. Yeah. And the guy that wrote it, the guy that did it, wrote on his wrote on his web page, his social media, that he had to protect America from the caravans, that they were coming to slaughter his people, and he, yeah. was, and he was going in. That's exactly what Trump has been saying for seven weeks. Now, you tell me. I know you're going to make excuses for him, but he's been saying that for seven weeks. No, I'm not this, going to this ascribe, guy finally I'm not going to ascribe things to him that he hasn't actually said. Well, he said it. He's not a, he hasn't said, I'm a white supremacist. I think white people are better no, than everybody else. I would like an ethno-state. That would be great. We'll run everything. White people only. He did, doesn't say that. But he says it all... It's a very unpopular po position to take. Nobody likes that. that and that's why, hopefully, the Democrats will take the House next week. But he says that. But I if the Democrats scream this stuff and it's not true, that's, that's going to send more people to vote for Trump out of spite again. No, 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 no. We'll see. You know. Shall I mean, we move on to the 4th and 14th Amendment? No, no. Oh, okay. Because, you know, I mean, <laughs> in the seven weeks leading up to the midterms, which mm -hmm. are next Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, yeah. he tells 30 lies a day. He's yeah, averaged yeah, yeah, 30 yeah. lies a day. So I just want to ask Duncan and, and Mark, how do you cover that? Guys, how do you cover that? You, you got to show Monday morning. It's really thirty hard lies. It's really you gotta, hard. You got to show Tuesday. Thirty more lies. It's really Wednesday. Hard. Thirty more lies. Know, Thursday. Thirty more lies. How do you cover that? The guy is a total scumbag, and he is a racist. He is a nationalist, and he denigrates brown and black and people of color every single day. People you, of color. If you listen to the, his rhetoric on the caravan. He says there are gang members in there, there are Middle Easterners in there, yeah. there are terrorists in there. Reporters have gone to that caravan, and none of those people are there. It is fear-mongering, hate, and division. And that's why he needs to be gone. It's the rhetoric that you don't like, the policies that he's... It's informed. the rhetoric. How, yeah. about, how about hate crimes have increased 62% since he's been in office? Hate crimes. Up out of the out of the out of the atmosphere, hate crimes because of his rhetoric. Stats on that, I'd like to see. And what well, you're defining you as know, a hate you, crime? You're always so you know you always bend over backwards for this guy. No, I don't. I just want to say one thing, Duncan. No, I just want things to be straight up. Okay, okay. How about this? I'm just talking to Garner and Richardson. Yeah. You know, if I picked you up and slammed you on the ground yeah. and your prime minister said, oh, boy, that's a big man. He's a good guy. <laughs> I like a guy that can pick up a reporter. Also, if he dissed, you know, how about if you dissed your intelligence agencies, dissed the FBI, yeah. dissed the Department of Justice and say Putin is my buddy. So how would you like it, guys, if Jacinda Ardern said the SAS, they're crap. The SAS, they're crap. Our government's crap. I like Australia. They do everything so much better. Garner, your head would explode. And that's what this guy does every single day of the week. And you say, okay, we, I don't like him. I don't like his rhetoric. No. But he is breaking the law. The moments clause, the campaign fraud, yep, okay. you know, he'll go down for that. And he hasn't released his taxes. There's so, and we haven't even talked about the fact that he rubbished NATO, the European Union. Yeah, he rubbishes yeah. all sorts of people. You know, that, that's, um, but he hasn't lied in the United Nations about weapons of mass destruction and used it as a bald-faced excuse to attack another country.
And do I give a shit about that? Okay, that's not past, at the moment. That's past history. All right. I'm talking about this guy. Okay, go ahead. The 14th Amendment. <laughs> All right. Oh, well, this is another jerk-off move on his part. Oh, really? Yeah, because the 14th Amendment guarantees that if you're born in the United States, oh, you yeah. are a citizen. Yeah, yeah. Now, Trump decides that he wants to decide who can be a citizen. And guess what? It ain't going to be brown people. It's going to be white people. But if they have to be born from legal immigrants, not illegal immigrants... He thinks he can do this with a stroke of a pen. He can't. It's not in the Constitution. He can't do it. Where has he said this is only applying to brown people? Was the, the melanin clause? God, you just you know you you just do all, just want so specific, huh? No, yeah. I, I, do, I just a, don't want um, right, someone well, to ascribe that kind of level of racism to someone who actually hasn't said it. Okay, <laughs> yeah, he was he was charged. The government charged him in the 70s for not running to black people. Right, right. Okay, that's yeah. a fact. Okay, right? so you, you're so, using so, this no, as... No, no, I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm just saying this history. Yeah. There was a, there's so a, you're there's, going on the history of there's his... A, there's a group of people, five black guys yeah. in Central Park, who were accused of rape and murder. Donald Trump wanted them to be electrocuted, killed. DNA tests proved mm -hmm. that they didn't do it. He still says he wants them to be killed. He said for years that Barack Obama was not born in America, and he damn well knew he was. Oh. He's an absolute outright racist. Okay, so you th he's a racist because you th he couldn't like dislike Barack Obama for other reasons other than the color of his skin and his heritage. <laughs> you look at the guy and he's black, you kind of go, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, he's also you... a Democrat. Yeah. Yeah. But Trump, I don't know. No, I see, just see, this obsession with racism Trump, is really unhealthy. Trump was a Democrat. He's not a Republican anyway, but he was a Democrat. All right. Then yeah. he transferred over. So, no, it wasn't because he was well, a Democrat. He wasn't even a politician. He was a reality star yeah. and a kind of a fake millionaire. Yeah. 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 Or a fake tycoon. Yeah. All right. Obama. Obama. Now, this is quite interesting, uh, Mr. Obama. You know, he's, um, he's on the trail now. I watched a huge, big, fat documentary with him last night. It was great, oh, yeah. in his own words, which it wasn't. Yeah. But it was really a great documentary going yeah. through what he did. Anyway, sorry. Your, yeah. Your no, no, choice. no, it was good. It was good. Um, and he's on the campaign trail speaking for the Democrats and, and Trump's on the other side. And if you listen to the two guys, it's like two different Americas. Oh, yeah, totally. You know, I mean, tr you know, Obama is like, you know, he's trying to get out the vote. You know, and as I said before, we've got this huge midterm election on Wednesday which will kind of, you know, we're going to have two more years of rampant Trumpism or we're going to have a check on it if the Democrats can take the House. But mm. we make it so hard in America to vote. Registration is difficult. Most countries that hold elections do it on a holiday or the weekend. We do it on a Tuesday. Mm. What if you're a single mom with two jobs and three kids? When the hell are you going to get a chance to vote? We make it so difficult. The last presidential election, Trump got 63 million. Hillary Clinton got 66. A hundred million didn't vote. Mm. That's staggering. Yeah. It's a hundred million. You take so, your democracy for granted. We do. We do. We're very poor at it. But also, people make it very difficult to vote in the states. Mm. I mean, you, you look at the Indians in North Dakota. All of a sudden, they, can't, they don't have an address. They don't get to vote. I mean, yeah. they live on a reservation. But it'll be really interesting on this Wednesday because this, this, this you know, election is so important to see if we get a surge of new voters. They oh. say that there is and it's the millennials, it's the young people that just don't 
get out and vote. So we'll see what happens. That's but, funny because they seem quite agitated in every other sphere. Yeah, I know. I know they're very active, but in the voting department, it just doesn't happen. There's something else on. So we'll see. But the interesting thing about Obama, he was at a rally in Florida and he got a heckler what you do. You're always going to get a heckler no matter where you stand up, all right? Twice he got one in Congress. Yeah. You Ooh, yeah. lie. You lie. Yeah, yeah. But in, in, in Florida this, this week, he got he got a heckler, and the crowd started yelling at him because, you know, the, the heckler's outnumbered because they all come to see Barack, and yeah. so he's outnumbered. And then instead of, like, when Trump gets a heckler, he says, knock the crap out of him, get him out of here. Barack told the crowd to calm down, and then he just said, yeah. I just want to ask a question of the heckler. You won the last election. Why are you so angry? Mm. <laughs> you know, which got a chuckle out of the crowd. Dissolved the whole situation. The guy that had no no retort. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, I love arguing with you because that's, you sound like a Republican. That's what they say. The Republican goes, ah, it's not that bad. He lies 30 times a day. Ah, so what? He won't release his tax returns. Ah, so what? He disses our FBI and, and, and gives Putin praise. Ah, so what? He hates and divides constantly. He lies about the caravan constantly. He yeah, appeals I, I, to I, people's fears constantly. Yeah. And the Republicans go, eh, so what? No, I'm not saying so what. I'm just, uh, I, I, I'm wanting evidence of things that are ascribed to him that he hasn't necessarily said. Yeah. I can't all. repeat everything he said. Oh, okay. It's all right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, we're going to go. Oh, damn. Should we leave it? I was only 0 for 3. Not too bad. Not no, too bad tonight, folks. That no, was great. <laughs> Good one. Thanks, Graham. A little bit from Obama. I, I just want to say, watching that documentary, uh, yep. in case we forget, what a great piece of decision-making and really ballsy he made and when he said, Syria, you use chemical weapons, it's a red line. Yeah. We'll go in. You're going to be sorry if you do that. Yeah. And he realized that when they did, and it seemed like they did anyway, God, yeah. it's hard to tell in the fog of war, uh, he added up the situation and decided against it. Yeah. And that made him look weak yeah. in the Republican eyes. Yeah. But he still thought it was the best decision. Yeah, and it was yeah. the best decision. And it could be a very different Middle East today. I know it's no bloody bear of Skittles at the moment. It would have been worse if he'd gone in. So, yeah. nice one, Barack Obama. Thanks for not. Yeah, no, I, I read the article the, uh, on his decision-making process, and it, it just made per perfect sense. I mean, and his final conclusion was that, you know, as America, we bomb everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's it, the only it, instrument you've got, a hammer. Yeah, everything's a nail. Like a nail. Yeah, so and we, he just decided, it. no, I'm not going to do it. All right, next up. Read me a poem. Steve Brawnius, tremendous writer. Oh, yeah, yeah, Steve. I like Steve. Yeah, yeah he's going to yeah. read us a couple. Funky right. guy. He is a funky guy. <laughs> John, thanks very much. Thanks, Grant. You're tuned in. To Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. Read me a poem. This week, our special guest is Steve Brawnius. Be familiar to a lot of you for his columns formerly of the listener and also well, all over the place really and so many great books roosters i've known was it full something Fool's paradise Fool's paradise i laughed out loud many many times so a well-known and i think a great author so a privilege to have you in here to read us a poem and talk a little bit about poetry thank you graham now there is 
this strange confluence of ideas. I thought I'd do this thing on the radio. It was actually a suggestion from a listener. And I thought, oh, God, poetry, people are going to go stuffy old impenetrable nonsense or overly romantic la-di-da. But I just wanted to get people to read a poem, tell us why it's good. Nothing stuffy, nothing too highfalutin or anything. Or if you want to, that's fine. But just explain, just to plainize poetry as um, a good thing. And you've done a book, and it's out just this week, which seems to be doing the same thing. And I've come to a radio position on this, and you've come to the same conclusion in a publication, which is much flasher. Yeah, I think there are definite kind of parallels between what you're doing and, and what I've attempted to do with this book, which is an anthology of 100 New Zealand poems. They first appeared at the spin-off site where I uh, serve as books editor. Mm -hmm. And you talked before, you mentioned before just then, uh, G, about you didn't want anything too highfalutin. And one of the, uh, I think, tones of this particular book is that it's very lowfalutin. It's very understandable. Uh, you can read it and you don't have to take a quiz to find out what went on. You know, I, I think it's because um, I work as a journalist and I think I read as a journalist too. And I want to know what's going on. I don't want to know too emphatically or too obviously. I like a bit of artfulness. But on the other hand, you know, I don't want to be bamboozled and I don't want to be lectured. And above all, I really don't want to be Board. Yeah. And uh, I've, I've been busy sending off uh, copies of the book uh, this week to the 61, I think, poets who are in here. And I got a real, real instructive and terrific reply from one of them a couple of days ago, Jilly uh, O'Brien. And she said, you've got a sense of mischief in this book, which other anthologies seem to do their best to obliterate. Mm. And I thought that was a really terrific thing to say. Yeah, there are anthologies, uh, uh, poetry books that come out that do smell of pomposity, whether they want to or not, and maybe it's not a purposeful thing, no, but I some impenetrability, it's almost like the harder it is to understand, the more important it must be. I think it is an intentional pomposity, it's the, uh, the purpose. It's the goal to which they are trying to achieve, and they achieve it uh, wonderfully so. But, yeah, I, d I don't have uh, the, the training or the discipline to even attempt that, really. It's more of a kind of a layman's view of poetry. A uh, hell of a lot of it is about uh, stuff in New Zealand, hmm. about places, about people, about our institutions like Anzac Day, I know, it's such a goddamn pleasure too. They're select from the past four years and it was such a pleasure uh, receiving these poems constantly and gradually becoming aware that uh, the standard was incredibly high, mm. uh, real high, and that the real work was being done by younger poets, predominantly uh, women poets. And it began to dawn on me that it'd be a, a really good idea to try and uh, record this as, a, as a, an anthology. Uh, it's my thesis in the introduction that I, I think this is a real exciting time mm. for New Zealand poetry. Something close to a revolution. I shy away from renaissance because everyone talks about a renaissance in mm. this field and that field. A revolution in poetry, cool. Yeah, I think so. I think it's in which just, direction? just really what terrific. Sh what shape is it? revolving towards 
Well, that's a jolly good question. I, um, I've already sent the book out uh, to be reviewed uh, at the spin-off, and I thought, well, you know, I'm not Well, gonna... it comes to your desk, doesn't it? Hmm? You re- review it yourself. You're the book reviewer at the spin-off. I w- I'm not a, a poetry disciplinarian. Oh, it goes expert. to the poetry wing on the 57th floor of the spin-off. 59th. Sorry. So sent it to a guy called Murray Edmund, and uh, he is uh, very well known as a tough, merciless son of a bitch as a critic. Good. I didn't want a puff piece. I couldn't live with myself with that. So I sent it to Murray for his assessment, and uh, he's pretty... He's pretty um, you know, it's not that I regretted that decision, Graham, but my <laughs> God, it was gutting. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> he, no. He, uh, yeah, it was a terrific review. He, he said around about five or six poems kept him awake and the rest were middle of the road, and he denied that there was a revolution because for there to be a revolution, there needs to be, and this is what you were kind of getting at with your question, I think, and there needs to be a school, there needs to be a movement, uh-huh. there needs to be a direction. Yeah. And blow me down, he's right. There isn't really one. I was basing this more on gender, to oh. tell you the truth. Okay. I just thought the revolution was is that the best poems, the most exciting and audacious were coming from women poets, 30, 35, and a lot younger right. than that. And, and I, th- I still think, uh, notwithstanding Murray's uh, review, that it does represent something new and a change mm. in uh, New Zealand letters, yeah. that they should be establishing what's going on and they should be doing the work which, in some cases, like Hera Lindsay Bird, is, be- is, you know, nothing short of a phenomena. I think it um, probably a little surprising, maybe not, that the person you meet at the checkout at Countdown probably has a favourite poem, that it's far more widespread and appreciated than uh, we give credit for, and hence giving poetry a bit of oxygen, I shouldn't be too anxious about it. Well, you know, we need we need poetry for public occasions. We need them for events which have real and particular meaning in our lives. Mm. Funerals, weddings, births, Mm. uh, falling in love with somebody, one of our first impulses is to express that through the words of somebody who can craft the syntax of love. Mm. All right, Um, so it's all poets that are in your book? Indeed. Okay. I'm, I'm going to some luminaries as well that just happen to like poetry. Tim Finns put his hand up. That'll be nice. I think that's a great choice. He's a, a very fine lyricist, just, a, just a, um, a man with a real feel for sound of language. Great choice. Betty was a working girl living in the bottom half of the world. Oh, yeah. Look at you. Oh, well, that's an easy one to remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do a soliloquy from Shakespeare. Okay, so you get a free pass to read some things from your book under the Marketing Act. Yes, 1975. Thank you. Yes. But would you have a favourite poem? Let's say that book, What Didn't Exist, would you have a favourite poem you might like to read anyway? I, uh, I don't play favourites, but... Yeah, I'm sorry, think of it's it. a dumb word, but, but, you know, if you could pick one. No, it's a damn good word. I, I, I'm being disingenuous. In fact, I state in the introduction, which is my favourite poem, so I totally, oh, I totally play favourite. So I, 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 I love this particular poem. I, uh, I am bamboozled by it. Cool. I don't know what it's about. I've asked the poet, and she kind of explained. She, she was a good sport about it. And she laid it out, 
and it still doesn't make uh i still don't kind of get it and i think it's because i don't wanna i want the sense of mystery mm. that it uh that it denotes some things just sound right too without you being able to go oh this is exactly what it means well, well you know explaining is failing isn't it i suppose so yeah one of my favorite tunes of all time and sets of lyrics is Wolfpack by Sid Barrett, and he's got a line in there that says, magnesium, proverbs, and sobs. It makes perfect sense to me, but if I try and pair it apart semantically, that's yeah. what? Yeah, it, does, it doesn't withstand passing, does yeah. it? Yes. No. Anyway, okay, enough about Sid Barrett. Here is the poem. Tell us who it's by, and let's hear it. It is by a Auckland poet called Courtney Cena Meredith, and it is called Why, as in the letter. Why? It's a very sort of al alphabetized <laughs> poem. S scrubs the pot, so give him Y. P was there, so give him Y. X cleared her weekend, so give her Y. S wants kids, so give him Y. S stops calling unlikable women bitches, so give him why. P sends a text checking up on you. You miss him. P misses why. X says that she dreams about why. S fixes your car, so give him why. Al is back from overseas. T is back with his wife. O comes home for a funeral. M turns up on opening night with B, S loves big dog, so give him Y. X is getting her shit together. X haunts you. P stops eating gluten. T emails his anxieties. O goes without a word. S pats you back to sleep. P keeps your secret. X drifts further and further. S tells his nan he met someone. You are harvesting why you are holding it to your chest. I think why is some essence of yourself that you hold dear and will give to somebody who you think deserves it, whether it's for scrubbing the pots or fixing your car or because you love them, I think. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I just uh, um, incredible achievement that she could write something in code and get away with it the whole way through. Like a street scene, there's a whole bunch of people in it huh? that we, who we only know by initials, but we learn quite a lot about them. It's a very New Zealand poem, the one about S stopping, who stops calling unlikable woman bitches. Sounds like a very New Zealand sentiment. I think it's terrific. She's a real original, this person. What and did you think? Did you like yeah, it? Yeah, I do. And something I, I don't know, maybe real, is that you know X and Y are these, in algebra, unknowns. Mm. So you can make your unknown. Oh, that's very good. That's very good. The, the poem can work for you in whatever way. These sorts of things could well have been playing a part in, in her mind yeah. with that. Um, but yeah, that uh, that is one of the the, the mu much least easily understandable poems, mm -hmm. and yet I absolutely love it, and it is my favourite. But with your good graces, 
Uh, I would like to choose one other one. Um, we started off the series saying, read me a poem. It's still what it's called, but we we haven't just had one wasn't poem. Wasn't it a typo? Wasn't it read me poems? Yeah, that'll do. Yes. Yeah, we don't care. We can make the rules. This other poem came in from a Wellington poet called Harry Ricketts. Oh, Harry. Harry. He's well known in the literary circles. I thought you were going to say the cricket circles. Oh, well, a bit of that. And it well. came in from his publisher, Victoria University Press, with a batch of other poems. And they said, would you like one of these? And I said, I would really like a poem called Grief Limericks. And then added, is it what I think it is? And they wrote back saying, yes, it is, Steve. Grief Limericks by Harry Ricketts. I once had a stepson called Max. As a child, he could really relax. The other kids kicked him. He was a natural victim. I once had a stepson called Max. I once had a stepson called Max. Liked gun and blood on the tracks. But things were askew, were tangled in blue. I once had a stepson called Max. I once had a stepson called Max with needs as tender as wax. When I left his mother, he saw me as other. I once had a stepson called Max. I once had a stepson called Max, whose memories turned into tax. Love inside out helps hatred to sprout. I once had a stepson called Max. I once had a stepson called Max, with a head full of cricketing facts, who one winter's day, I once had a stepson called Max. Oh, it's hollowed out at the end. There's this big gap. It's this, a big gap. This yawning chasm. It's a big gap where death resides. Yeah, it's kind of gloomy Ogden Nash. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see that one coming. It's a pretty um, radical choice to use the limerick. Yeah, nice contrast. Uh, exactly, yeah. He's taking this jovial sing-song form that we all love and associate with, uh, with sex and, 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 and double entendre. Places called Nantucket. That's right. I wonder what could rhyme with that. And he's taken that and he's written a poem about uh, youth suicide. And these very small words, the exact same limerick, technique yeah uh i think that's that's definitely the book's most um profound and moving and shocking uh moment we have had rock star poets in the past sam hunt still looms large doesn't he sam has four poems in this book uh i write about him in the introduction that i i, I kind of compare him to dylan thomas and mm -hmm. as much um people wondered whether Dylan would, would, would drop his kind of wild man, um, not act, but his wild man being, because, mm. you know, he was soaked in an alcoholic stupor, and ever reach a kind of a quiet stage in his poetic career. He didn't. He died in an alcoholic stupor. He but did I not think go gently he, he really <laughs> into didn't. that night. He really didn't. And Sam hasn't mallowed. Sam hasn't become Christian. Sam hasn't... Sam is still fast, but he's still with us, and I think the poetry that he's been writing for the past few years has a quietness and a grace to it, 
which is new uh, to his to his poetic development. Mm. He's such a very 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 fine poet, a man who uses very few syllables, uh, who's always incredibly alert to sound. He's 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 got a terrific ear for pitch, and uh, yeah, all the poems I think that he's got in this book, the four, are concerned with his great theme. Uh, now, which is death, but he's a very fine poet. Yeah, uh, what I was kind of hinting at um, is there a revolution where we'll see rock star poets again? It was a thing, wasn't it? I mean, even in the eighties, they sold lots of albums. Don't poo poo John Cooper Clark. He can write a thing or two. Yeah, I went to see him a few months ago. Did you? Yeah, yeah. You had a f- funny feeling. You did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got permission to use. Um, Chicken Town uh, <laughs> at the spin-off, and gee, it read so good, didn't it? Yeah. Tell you one of the reasons it read so good is that I could actually uh, read the lyrics for the first time. Like every time he performs, it's this rapid-fire yeah. stream of incoherence. It's actually a <laughs> bloody good poem, a very clever writer. Yeah, yeah. it is. Um, the the poet as star. Well, we're kind of seeing it now with this person I referred to before called Hera Lindsay Bird. Mm-hmm. She she came to the spin-off and went viral via its 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 you know internet reach, um, and ended up having her book published by Penguin in the UK and so on and so forth. She would be our reigning superstar of poetry with her very direct. Very funny, very shocking poetry, which is much more than that. The technique is um, something to really admire, and she comes out with the most alarming, beautiful images, I think, that we've seen in New Zealand poetry Mm. for a long, long time. And and I think that gives... I'm not sure whether this is true, but I think that gives certain sort of male commentators of New Zealand poetry... um, I think it gives them the shits... Why? Basically, to well, I think it does because she's very young. I think she was 29 when she first started having her work published uh, at the spin-off to to vast and immediate acclaim. And she's cheeky. She's challenging. These are all appealing qualities, uh, aren't they? Just so people love her. Who would get the shits? I, I've I've read. Can you some... point to anyone who's actually got the shits, or is this in your head? No, I've read some things. Oh, okay. I've read some things. Uh, she poses a challenge and people try and shoot it down. And, and that's always, you know... Oh, a, that's fair tennis. A, a mean thing. Well, no, she doesn't say, you know, you, you mean poets are terrible. It's just that her success and her happiness oh. about it, I, I, I think from reading <laughs> what I've read, is a challenge. But, yeah, she's the... She's definitely the, the, the star of the book. She's oh. the reason I first started thinking about it. And then all these other writers started coming along, and at the same time, these older poets like Sam Hunt, like mm. Elizabeth Smither, Bill Manhire, Brian Turner, the kind of higher register. Oh, it's Brian there. Hmm? It's Brian in your book. BT is in there. God, God. Absolutely BT, a man of few syllables. No. He's kind of there to undercut some of the windier... I've still got a bone to pick with him. I know you do. <laughs> he's not picking that bone with you. No, he's not. <laughs> I even travelled there and put something in his letterbox. (laughs) (laughs) Bloody did, you know. He hasn't gone out to the postbox in years. No. Okay, one thing I think I've learnt from doing these and listening back to them, damn, read one of the poems again. Now that we know and have got in our heads a bit more of an idea of 
what we're listening to, always good to hear it again. Pick one of the two and just read it again, and we'll end with that. How about that? What an interesting idea. Look at you, always thinking, <coughs> always creating new things. Such trouble, aren't you? Thanks for coming in, Steve. Bronius. Wow. Go okay, on. Okay. I don't know if I've got the emotional fortitude to do, um, but I'm going to. Good for you. I am gonna. You don't think I could cheat and re read a third one, do you? No. No. no, no. Harry Ricketts. Grief limericks. I once had a stepson called Max. As a child, he could really relax. The other kids kicked him. He was a natural victim. I once had a stepson called Max. I once had a stepson called Max. Liked gun and blood on the tracks. But things were askew, were tangled in blue. I once had a stepson called Max. I once had a stepson called Max, with needs as tender as wax. When I left his mother, he saw me as other. I once had a stepson called Max. I once had a stepson called Max, whose memories turned into tax. Love inside out helps hatred to sprout. I once had a stepson called Max. I once had a stepson called Max with a head full of cricketing facts who one winter's day I once had a stepson called Max. The Weekend Variety Wireless. I hope you're enjoying the poetry series Read Me a Poem. Um, fingers crossed, should be good for next Sunday. Tim Finn, he can write a lyric or two. And if you like the sound of Stephen Braunius's compilation, I think it's called an anthology of those poetic works, the name of the thing is called The Friday Poem. And it's out with a publishing company called Lunch and Sausage Publishing. Lovely name. And it's $25 at any good bookstore, or you can look for it online. So there you go. Fingers crossed for Tim Finn next week. Oh, and uh, after news, sport and weather, more on the World War One theme. Uh, another outsider tale with said theme. Probably our best-known military person, along with maybe you Upham. General Freiburg, his story beginning at Gallipoli after news, sport and weather.